you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn the Old Testament to the book of Deuteronomy, the 10th chapter. It's been quite a few weeks since we've been in Deuteronomy. It was the end of June when we finished our 31st in the series of Deuteronomy that we've been studying. Then we took a break for a couple of weeks to really focus on missions in Acts chapter 13 to prepare us as a church to send that team to Uganda, of which I was part. And then, of course, we were out of the country on that amazing trip. And by the way, we were very eager to share with you, uh, the church, all that happened on that trip, the amazing things that God did uh, in us and through us. And so if you're here and you were on that trip, y'all don't know this, can we just meet after the service this morning? Missions team people, raise your hand if you're here. Not everybody, but most, all right. So just meet me up here, and we'll make a plan to share with this church. Anyway, so this morning, uh, we reviewed just briefly. The last time we were in Deuteronomy, we were in Deuteronomy chapter 9. And we read there two different instances when Moses went up on the mountain, Mount Sinai. Forty days and forty nights he spent in prayer, fasting, in the presence of the Lord. The first occasion, the Lord gave Moses the Ten Commandments. He wrote them on the tablets of stone. And when he had finished, he told Moses, Well, you better go back down the mountain because the people are down below. And they've made an idol of gold in the shape of a calf. And they are worshiping around it and parting around it. So Moses indeed went down the mountain. And he saw what the people were doing. And he took those Ten Commandments that the Lord had written on the tablets of stone. And he smashed them in the presence of the people. To symbolize how in their faithfulness and faithlessness and sin, they had broken covenant with God. God said at that time that he was going to destroy the people. He said to Moses, leave me alone. Leave me alone. Let me destroy them. Let me blot out their name from under heaven. But you, I will make you into a new nation. Bigger, stronger, better than this nation. But Moses didn't accept God's offer. Instead, Moses returns to the mountain a second time. And there, for 40 days and 40 nights, he prays fervently that God would spare these people. So this morning, we come to Deuteronomy chapter 10. And we have the opportunity and the privilege to read here God's response to Moses' prayer. To be taught by it, to be challenged by it. To be transformed by the way we see God respond to the prayer of Moses. So uh, let's bow and, and pray together and ask God to bless our time in his word. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for uh, time once again together in your word. Father, we, as always, thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given it to us, that you have revealed yourself, revealed your truth to us through your word. We thank you, Lord, that through these many years you have preserved your word as a t- true and faithful testimony uh, of who you are. So we thank you for your spirit as well, and we pray now, Spirit of God, that you would teach us as we come to your truth, Father, that you would take that truth and that you would use it to transform our lives. Father, we long to be the people that you have created us to be, that you have called us to be. So we need the help of your spirit and the truth of your word to do that. So transform us now uh, as we come to your word, for we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. This morning I want to look at two specific responses that God made to the prayer of Moses. And the first one begins in chapter 10, verse 1. So if you'll look there with me in verse 1, as we begin to think about this first response. Moses says, 
At that time, the Lord said to me, at that time, the Lord said to me, now stop. Stop right there for a moment. If you had not read this story, if you didn't know how this story was going to end, what might you expect the response of God to be to Moses in his prayer? Moses has poured out his heart before the Lord. He's prayed, Sovereign Lord, do not destroy your people. They are your inheritance. You redeem them by your great power. Overlook the stubbornness of this people. Forgive their sinfulness. He reminds God again, these are your people, Lord. These are your inheritance. These are the people that you have redeemed by your own power. And so Moses pours out his heart before the Lord. How would you expect the Lord to respond? Here's what I would expect. If I didn't know the story, I would expect the Lord to say something like, Moses, I have heard the the, the beautiful prayers that you've offered on behalf of your people. Moses, I have seen your selflessness. I've seen how you are not seeking your own glory. Moses, I have seen the great compassion you have on these people. And I'm, I'm moved by the mercy that you seek from me on their behalf. Therefore, Moses, I'm going to answer your prayers and I am going to spare these people. Now that's the answer that I would expect. Something like that. But of course I would expect that because I am a human being and part of being a human being is self-centered. You might as well admit it, we are. We're self-centered. We seek our own glory and we love to receive that pat on the back. And so I want to see Moses built up. I want to see Moses acknowledged for his selfless commitment, for the tremendous sacrifice he's made on behalf of these people. But God's response is quite different from what my response would be and from what I expect his to be because God has something better for Moses. God has something better for his people. God has something better for you and for me than focusing on ourselves. You know, from what's recorded here, it doesn't even seem that God acknowledges that Moses has prayed. God doesn't even say, Moses, I've heard your prayers, I grant your request. Look again at verse 1. At that time, the Lord said to me, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones and come up to me on the mountain. Also make a wooden chest. I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Then you are to put them in a chest. So, okay, Lord, is that a yes or a no? Yes, you're going to destroy the people. No, you're not going to destroy the people. What kind of response is this to Moses' prayer? Well, I'll tell you, it is an awesome response. It's an awesome response because it communicates that God is unstoppable. And that's the message that you and I need to hear over and over and over again, that our God is unstoppable. And that's why this response is so amazing. In an unstoppable way, God is going to carry out his plan. It is almost as if this this catastrophe of human faithlessness, this worshiping around the golden calf, this partying around the golden calf, while God is watching... And Moses taking these tablets and smashing them. It's almost as if this dramatic event is not even a a blip on the radar. Because in response to all this, 
God simply says, bring me two more tablets of stone. Because the sinfulness of man cannot stop the plan of God. The sinfulness of man cannot stop the plan of God. It's like shooting wooden arrows at an armor tank. You know, we, we shoot the arrows of our sin. We shoot the arrows of our faithlessness. And, and they strike the armor tank of God's will. And they fall to the ground in splinters. And they don't even leave a mark. Because God's plan, God's will goes onward, forward. It is unstoppable. And so the focus here is not on Moses or on his prayer. The focus is on the faithfulness of God. God chose these people in his grace. Look in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 10. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. All of this belongs to God, yet the Lord set his affections on your forefathers and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. See, God determined and promised that through these people he would bless the nations of the world. And God is faithful to his promises and his plan is unstoppable. And so the response from God becomes a beautiful way to teach that truth to those people and to you and me this morning. Bring two stone tablets like the first one. If you look in these first verses of chapter 10, you see over and over again the emphasis on this idea, like the first one. Verse 1, chisel out two stones like the first ones. Verse 2, I will write the words that were on the first tablets. Verse 3, so I chiseled out two stones like the first ones. Verse 4, the Lord wrote on these tablets what he had written before, the Ten Commandments. The same tablets, the same words. Same tablets, the same words. God's word, God's plan doesn't need to be revised. Same words, same tablets. Because God's word and God's plan doesn't need to be edited. Same words, same tablets. God doesn't need to go back to the drawing board. It isn't as if God looked at the people worshiping around the golden calf and said, hmm, Oh, now I see what I'm working. Yeah, now I see what I've got to work with. Maybe I better go back to the drawing board. I I better think up a a new plan that that better suits this demographic of people that that I'm working with. That's not what God does. His standards remain the same. He doesn't change them. He doesn't dumb them down to accommodate sinful, faithless people. The same tablets with the same words. God doesn't need to change. Would you turn to Psalm 19, please? Psalm 19. The whole psalm is great, but I'm going to look in verse 7. We need to hear this about the Word of God. The law of the Lord is perfect. And what does it do? Revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. What does it do? It makes wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. What do they do? They rejoice the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. 
Psalm goes on to say that they are more precious than gold and sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. That is the word of the Lord. And that's why God's response is so tremendously beneficial to transform you and me. Because it puts all the attention on the perfect will and the perfect word of God. And it gives us great hope and great confidence that that will and that word is unstoppable. Doesn't need to be rewritten, doesn't need to be changed, doesn't need to be to be replaced to better suit or meet our needs. Why do you think Jesus said when he came to earth, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them. I've come to fulfill them. For truly I tell you until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter Not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Jesus comes to bring completion to the word of God. God's word did perfectly everything that God had designed and created it to do until Christ, the living word of God, came in the flesh. Until Christ went to the cross. And so from the cross, he proclaimed, it is finished. The unchanging faithfulness of God. That's what God's answer highlights. God didn't need to say anything new to Moses. He didn't need to say anything different. Simply bring me two more tablets like the first. I think of the words to the old hymn. How firm a foundation... Ye saints of the Lord. That's us. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His excellent Word. What more can He say? What more can He say than to you who has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? Listen, our foundation is secure. We can step on it and stand on it, We can stomp on it. It's not going to move. We can jump up and down on it. It's not going to move. We can take a foundation. We can take a a jackhammer to the foundation of God's word and pound away at it and it will never, ever crack. It is secure forever. And that's what God's answer highlights. The same tablets, the same words. It highlights God's persistence. He persists in his determination to redeem and to reclaim and to restore his people. Now look in verse 10. Moses said, Now I stayed on the mountain forty days and nights, as I did the first time. And the Lord listened to me at this time also. It was not his will to destroy you. And so without covering once again ground that we've already covered in previous sermons... We see here once again this interplay between human responsibility and God's sovereignty. The verse says clearly that Moses prayed and that God listened to his prayer. The verse also tells us at the same time that it was not God's will to destroy these people. And so it's a mystery to me, and it probably always will be, how Moses' prayer and God's perfect will work together. But if Moses, because of his prayer if he seems to you and to me or to anyone to be more merciful than God is, then we're missing this important fact that Moses is the result of the reclaiming, redeeming work of an unstoppable God. 
an unstoppable God who saved the life of the baby Moses for the purpose that Moses is now fulfilling. The unstoppable God who had Moses raised in the royal household of the Pharaoh of Egypt, where he would see leadership at his highest level to prepare him to lead millions of people. Raised in the royal household where Moses, the man who would write the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, would receive the best education available. The unstoppable God who called Moses from the burning bush to lead his people. The God who met with Moses as Moses sought desperately to lead these stiff-necked, rebellious people. Why was Moses the man he was except for the fact that God had done this work in him? Who taught Moses to pray? How did Moses know to be compassionate and persistent in prayer? Where did he learn it? From the Lord. Is Moses not then an illustration of the redeeming power of God? And the sanctifying power of God? Is he not an example of what God's people can be? And did not Moses prepare us for the coming of the perfect man? The Lord Jesus Christ. So that when Jesus came to earth, we would already be familiar with the unstoppable God and his unstoppable work on man's behalf. So that we would be eager eager for God to finish the work of redemption through Christ on the cross so that everything needed to be done for your salvation and mine would be done in him. No, Moses is not more merciful than God. Moses is a product of the power, the power of an unstoppable God and what his power and presence can do in his people. So where in your life, where in your life, do you need to remember that God is unstoppable? Where have you been believing or acting as if you believe that God is stoppable? That God is defeatable? What might God be calling you to do right now? What might be God be calling you to do that will require the services of an unstoppable God? And where is it that you need to be reminded of the perfection of the divine will of God and His Holy Word because you are living like you believe that His Word is flawed or that His Word is wrong or that His Word is not appropriate for you and your demographic? Where do you find yourself demanding more of God? What more could He say to you than what He's already said? So you and I have got to, to rest secure in and stand firm on God's Response to Moses' prayer that God, our God, is unstoppable. Do you believe that? Do you? Do you? Amen. Our God is unstoppable. He never gives up. He doesn't have to. Not on you and not on me. He never changes. He doesn't need to. He is already perfectly complete in and of himself. His plan is perfect. So that's where we put our hope. That's where we put our trust. That's what we submit our lives to. And so first this morning, be taught and then transformed by this response from God. He is unstoppable. Let's move on. Let's look at the second response. Be transformed by that one as well. Look with me in verse 11. God speaks to Moses again. Go, the Lord said to me, and lead the people on their way so that they may enter and possess the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. 
And I'm not sure why the NIV translates the first word here is go. Translators are far smarter than I am. Don't know why they made this choice, but in the the ESV and the New American Standard and the King James, those translations all capture the, the literal meaning of the Hebrew word here, which means arise. Get up. Arise. Get up. That's the command from God to Moses. Now, when you are commanded to arise... Or to get up, what does that imply? It implies that Moses was still down on his knees in prayer before the Lord. But now it's time, according to God's command, to get up and to get going. It's time to get about fulfilling the purpose of God. And his purpose is to give his people the land that he promised to them and to their forefathers and so it's time for Moses to lead God's people in fulfilling this unstoppable plan and purpose of God. So at this particular time all that needs to be done in prayer has been done. The Lord has forgiven his people. The Lord has reestablished his covenant, the same tablets and the same words. And so God says to Moses, "Arise, Get up. Go. See, the Lord doesn't keep us forever on our knees. Not that I think there's any danger that we pray too much. But nevertheless, the Lord does not forever keep us on our knees. The Lord both requires and releases us to get up and get going. But you and I have to release ourselves. And that's sometimes not an easy thing to do. We don't arise, we don't get up, and we don't go because our guilt weighs us down. It is so heavy. And so you and I don't have the feeling that we have done enough. We haven't done enough to pay for our sins. And we never have this sense of closure when it comes to our sin. There's something more that we've got to do to atone for it, to make up for it. And if we don't do that more, whatever that more is, then when we get up, we don't really believe God is going to use us anyway. It's quite a predicament for people who are called to go into all the world and make disciples. It's a universal predicament, I believe. I wonder what was going on in John Wesley's heart in mind, or what had going, been going on there in the past when he wrote the hymn that we sang earlier, Arise, my soul. He writes, Arise, my soul, arise, shake off your guilty fears and rise. What were the fears that John Wesley was experiencing that he needed to shake off? Why do you think John Wesley had to speak to his soul? Soul, arise, get up. Shake off your guilty fears. Rise. Why did he have to make that command of his soul? What were the fears that he was experiencing? You know, I don't know the occasion on which he wrote this song. But I know a little bit about his life. John and Charles Wesley, they're famous brothers. They founded what we know as the Methodist Church. And when they were in college, university at at Oxford... They formed what came to be called, in a derogatory manner, the Holy Club. And George Whitfield was part of that club as well. And their goal 
was to systematically serve God every hour of the day. That was their goal, to systematically serve God every hour of the day. And they literally made themselves sick and and almost dead trying to accomplish this. They set aside time for praying, for examining their spiritual lives, for studying the Bible, for meeting together. They took food to poor families. They visited people in prison and they taught orphans how to read. They fasted twice a week. But none of them were converted at the time. None of them had a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so what was the result? They had these heavy, burdened hearts and souls. Chained. Burdened by guilt. They could never do enough. And so from this man comes this song. It almost seems like a a chastisement for the one who will not arise. So we read and we sing in this song what got John Wesley off of his knees, what caused his soul to rise up, and it was the truth of the Word of God. This this hymn is a wealth of, of scriptural truth. So take your bulletin. You have your bulletin? Take it out. And turn to that song, Arise, that we sang. Because I want to go through this song and read the, the lines of it to you, and then I want you to jot down the scriptural passages that I read to go along with it. Because you know what? If, if you and I are going to arise, if we're going to get up, if we're going to be set free, it's only going to be through the same thing that set John Wesley free, and that's the truth of the Word of God. So you write it down, and look, if I find the bulletins in the pew afterward, I'm going to know some people don't want to be set free. Take your bulletins. Look at the line, the first line. Arise, my soul, arise. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Shake off your guilty fears. Psalm 34, 4. I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. The bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Hebrews 9, 24. For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself. Now, to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Is that good news? Before the throne, my surety stands. Hebrews 7.22 Jesus has become the surety, the guarantee of a better covenant. My name is written on his hands. Isaiah 49.15 and 16 God says, I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Verse 2 He ever lives above for me to intercede. Hebrews 7.25 Jesus is able to save to the utmost those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. That's for us. His all-redeeming love. 2 Peter 3, verse 9 The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness. He's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. 
his precious blood to plead. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from an empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. His blood atoned for every race. Romans 5, verse 11. Not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. We have now received the atonement. And sprinkles now the throne of grace. Hebrews 12, verse 24. You have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. And Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And now verse 3. Five bleeding wounds he bears. John 20.27 Then Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Luke 24, 39 and 40. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Received on Calvary. Luke 23, 33. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified Him. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Lamentations 3, 58. Lamentations 3, 58. O Lord, You have pleaded my soul's cause. You have redeemed my life. Forgive him, oh forgive, they cry, nor let that ransom sinner die. Luke 23, 34, And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There's another verse that's not printed in your bulletin. I could do the same thing with that verse, that God is reconciled, that we have heard his pardoning voice, that he owns us for his children, that with confidence that we can draw nigh, and Father Abba, Father cry. It's all there. The truth of God's Word. So see, now you can put your bulletin down and take it with you. The same words. Same tablets. These are the truths. These are the only truths that can set our hearts free so that you and I can arise and go. God had work for Moses to do. And God has work for you to do and for me to do. And he's got work for us together as Redeemer Presbyterian Church to do. We've been looking at the book of Deuteronomy for, lo, these many, many months. 32 sermons. And we're just on chapter 10. But we look for this purpose. Because just as God was leading his people to the promised land, and from that land they would worship him, 
and from that land the glory of the Lord would go out to be a blessing to the nations of the world, so too has God called us. He has led us to this place, to 43 Wentworth Street. From this place, God has called us to come together and to worship Him. From this place, the glory of the gospel is to radiate out into this community around us, out into the city around us, and beyond that, into the world around us. We're to take the blessing of the good news of the gospel and minister in his name, even if it's with only a cup of cold water. Arise. Get up. Go. You and I have to accept all that the Father has said is true. Just as he didn't need to say anything new to Moses, the same tablets and the same words, he doesn't need to say anything more to you or to me. We just have to receive and act on what God declares to be true of us. And you and I, we have got to release ourselves, release ourselves, allow ourselves to get up, to shake off the guilty fears and arise and to be about the work that God has called us to do. Satan is called in Scripture. Satan is called in Scripture the accuser of the brothers. And he wants to accuse you and Satan wants you to stay down. And he wants you to feel defeated and he wants you to feel unworthy. And he wants you to always feel like you have not prayed enough and always feel like you have not done enough and always feel like you are unworthy. So he's always accusing you. And he's always throwing your sin up in your face so that you'll stay down, stay down, stay down. Because if you stay down, then he won't do anything. But what does God say? Arise, 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 shine for your light has come. The glory of the Lord is upon you. The glory of the Lord is upon you. The glory of the Lord is in you and in me through the power of the Holy Spirit of God himself living in us. So if you're still down this morning, let me ask you this. When do you plan to get up? When do you plan? What's your plan? When are you going to get up? How are you going to get up? If you're waiting on something, if you're staying down because you're waiting, what are you waiting for? When are you going to get up? Learn this truth from God's response to Moses' prayer. Arise, arise, go on your journey. God wants you to. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you. Oh, we thank you, Lord, for the beauty of your word. For the truth of your word and how much we need to hear it. Father, we acknowledge that our only hope is in you and our only hope is in the truth that you speak to us. The truth of the gospel, which reclaims to us the good news of sins paid for. Lord Jesus, you paid the price of sins forgiven. We turn in faith to you, Lord, you forgive our sins and we're to be released. You take the burden of that sin away so that we no longer have to carry it. And so I pray now, Lord, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, You would cause each of us to speak to our own souls this morning, to make them obedient, to arise, my soul arise, shake off your guilty fear and rise. Because you, Lord Jesus, have have done everything that needs to be done for us and for our salvation. So give you thanks and praise for that now in Jesus' name. Asking that you would remind us that you, your will and your word is good and perfect and well-pleasing. That you will help us rejoice in the fact that we serve and worship a God who is unstoppable. Your plan will go onward and forward, Lord, until you determine uh, that the end has come and Christ returns. I pray that you will give us the boldness to get up and to move out. 
to do the things that you have called us to do, be the people you've called us to be, we would rise, that we would get up, and that we would go on our way, accomplishing the purpose that you have for us. So we pray that you will do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.